it's the C night from the Dove Shack. Getting those shit out, kicking it at Kings Park with all the homies. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So what you um check out my homie Bo to the Rock. Hey team, uh, great to be with you on another podcast. I'm here with the uh, great Zach McCrary. Lovely to be alive. <laughs> and we are uh, just covering uh, the fundamentals of the investment business today. So uh, an important topic. Yes. We obviously want to get people fully licensed as quick as possible so we can do the full job for the client, uh, deliver more value. Because at the end of the day, that's what it's about is what what kind of difference can we make in people's lives. So want to cover the fundamentals, study this, listen to this, because uh, you guys want to get good at the investment business. It's going to lead to more referrals. It's going to lead to happier clients, better relationships. Obviously, you'll be able to make more money while you build a business. And it's just an important part of, of what we do. So I want to start with fundamental number one, and that's asking great questions. So I think uh, throughout Primerica, whether we're doing an interview or a client appointment, my experience is that people try to present too much. Okay. They convince too much. They're trying to oversell. Really, under you know, keep Stephen Covey talked about seek first to understand. Mm-hmm. So we've got to get to know people. What are their goals? What are their needs? What makes them tick? And probably the most important aspect is what is their pain? Because mm-hmm. people will always move away from pain quicker than they move towards pleasure. So asking questions, I get to know them, get to know what's important to them, and really just proactively listen to them. I find uh, oftentimes that people are talking way too much. A good appointment for me is that I'm listening 80% of the time and really talking probably 20% of the time. Mm-hmm. And, and people don't really realize all the time that if you ask the right questions, you're really controlling the conversation. That makes sense. It's kind of like the Socratic method where you ask the right questions to get them to realize the answers themselves. Right. Like, At the end of the day, sales is providing a solution to a need. But if I'm not asking good questions, how am I really ever going to diagnose the need? Mm-hmm. How do I know what it is? So a few examples of good questions is uh, the first questions will revolve around service. So what are you looking for in an advisor is a very important question because, again, they need us way more than I need them, Mm -hmm. okay? So when you're sitting down with people, what are you looking for in an advisor? If it makes sense for us to work together, what would you expect from me? All questions I'm asking on the first appointment. How much service are you currently getting for uh, getting from your advisor or getting in your investments? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. That's an important question because remember, some new people think that I can only talk to or call people that don't have anything set up. But really, I'm I'm looking for people that already have stuff set up. I'm looking for people that are in a good position that I can put in a great position. Because that you know, I'll be able to make a bigger difference. I'm actually looking for people really 60 and older. Because they've already got all the funds. Yeah, they've from, got assets. Yeah. They've got resources. And I can really, really put them in a much better situation. Another question. If I could put together a portfolio that could earn a higher rate of return, but, but you would take on less risk, would you be interested in working together? Again, great question. Because studies show that people are way more concerned with 
protecting their money than actually making higher rate of returns. Yeah, makes sense. So if the market, whenever this market finally does crash, we're in the ninth inning of the baseball game, stocks are expensive. Whenever it does happen, um, people will be way more concerned with the risk and the volatility than, okay, the market did 20% last year and only made 17, Zach, what's wrong with you? Mm. You know, you'll you'll you won't get that. But when things start to hit the fan, they're they're very concerned about the risk. Uh, another question: How comfortable do you feel managing the four major risk investors face: market risk, um, taxation, inflation risk, and longevity risk? Now, remember, guys, as we go through these questions, it's you're not asking all these questions. You're only asking a few that relate to their current situation. Mm -hmm. So they start to bring up, bring out their statements on the first visit. And I'm beginning to ask the questions based on what I'm seeing. So these are just, you put them in your toolbox, put them in your arsenal and pull them out uh, when it makes sense. Another one is how comfortable do you feel uh, with with the track that you're on for retirement. You know, a lot of people want to know, okay, where am I? What do I need to get to retirement? Am I ahead of schedule? Am I on track? Am I behind? That's why the financial needs analysis is so important. Um, another question, just in, in reference to the risk profile questionnaire, just because there's so many questions is, hey, are you aggressive? Are you moderate? Are you conservative? How would you describe your, your, your attitude towards risk? That's an important question. Um, another one with risk is if 2008 happened this year, you know, how comfortable do you feel with your current asset allocation? Okay. So if 08 happened and, and your money went, got cut in half by 50%, how would you feel? Because it's amazing to me how many times I, I, I feel like people, you know, want to want you to obviously help them make great money when the market's doing well, but they never want to participate when the market's not doing <laughs> well. So they kind of want their cake and they want to eat it too. It's important to just have that conversation. Now, when, when you go in and you talk to someone and you ask them these questions, are you at this point in your career, are you pretty easily able to kind of judge like this is a person who's going to freak out when things go bad and they're going to try and pull their money yeah you're reading their body language or you're listening to to how they respond to these questions um you know i i think i'm pretty good at reading people mm -hmm. and obviously you know you could listen to this podcast you could sit in my tuesday morning boot camp but there's not going to be any type of substitute for actually doing the appointments. You know, yeah. the more appointments that you do, the more confident and convicted that you'll get. And and some people really, unfortunately, they just need to, to you know, they're going to be uncomfortable, but they kind of need to sometimes cut the cord between themselves and <laughs> leadership because what happens is they'll actually learn more on their own. Even if they screw up a little bit, mm -hmm. as long as you're, up front, if you're honest, for one example, let's say, Zach, you pass your security licenses in a couple months, you're out by yourself, and someone asks you a question that you don't know the answer to, just simply say, you know what, that's a great question, and before I answer it, I want to do a little bit more research so I can give you the best answer possible. Yeah. They're going to respect okay. that. What you never want to do is say, you know, just make something up. And be wrong. <laughs> and be wrong and not know what you're talking about, right? When, Since we're on that topic of, of like cutting the cord and doing it yourself, um, 
I feel like a lot of people probably maintain that chord because they're worried about actually un- knowing what they're talking about. Sure. What's the what is the best way for people to learn about the markets? That's an excellent question. So obviously, one thing that I tell everybody is is you personally um, begin to follow the market and and you personally become a better investor. Mm -hmm. Most of what I know about the markets and what I've learned in terms of communicating with clients, I learned from studying the markets for myself because I wanted to make higher rate of returns. And I used to trade stocks in college to help pay my way through school in terms of extra spending money. And, And it wasn't like... I had, you know, hundreds of thousand dollars in the market when I'm yeah. 18, 19, <laughs> 20. But, you know, it was a lot of money for me at that point. Mm-hmm. And that was, I learned more, you know, trading stocks personally than what I learned in, in class sitting, uh, you know, in front of a professors that have never run a business right. in their life. And, and you get a knows? bit more of the nuance because you're actually in the yeah, field, more or less. You know, you're in the game. Yeah. Um, so, so that's a key thing. Um, I think the second thing is whatever fund, so let's say you're using mutual funds, whatever fund company you're going to be using, just begin to study their funds. Mm-hmm. Hey, how did they do last year? How are they doing this year? What's the reason this fund's overperforming or outperforming the market? Why is this one not doing um, that well? You know, how do these funds kind of work together in terms of overall portfolio? Uh, they could obviously look at different websites. They could track, you know, have an app on their phone where they track different tickers and funds. You know, they could call wholesalers. It's amazing how much support we have in Primerica. Mm. So, you know, you hear people all the time say, you know what, I already know that. But then when I look at their numbers on POL, they don't really know that. <laughs> you know, for me, it's not just about hearing something and seeing something. It's about actually implementing what you learned. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so uh, it, it's amazing to me that that people, you know, and then you have a situation where I, I feel like people don't seek out help. You know, part of growing is humbling yourself and saying, you know what, I don't know this topic very well, but I know certain people in Primerica know it better than me. I'm going to humble myself and listen to them and ask questions. I think asking, just like we're talking about right now, asking questions to clients, I think Primerica people need to get better at asking questions to people that know more than them. Yeah, man, you, you, you need to never stop learning. Yeah. No matter what field you're in, you sure. need to keep going. It's so, it's so critically important, especially in this business. Uh, other questions, I'll just go through a few quickly. Uh, do, you, do you feel like the fees that you're currently paying are high? And again, sometimes they've never had a second opinion, so they don't know. Um, did your current advisor go over with you how, how important asset allocation is? A lot of times clients don't even know what that is. Obviously, studies show that the better asset allocation that you have, not only the better return that you get, but the less risk that you take. Um, do you feel like your performance is good for the amount of risk that you're taking? Right. So, so again, so many more questions, but just, you know, there's, there's 20 to 30, uh, probably in, in my toolbox that I'll use. But so just understand that, that we don't move money just to move money. There's got to be an issue. It could be they're not diversified. The asset allocation's bad. The fees are too high. Mm-hmm. The performance isn't good based on the risk that they're taking. And, and and the number one thing is service. 
So people could be really good in a lot of those other areas, but their service be bad. And that's a reason for people to move money. So if you, if you listen to all those questions and you looked at everything that they had and everything looked great, but they tell you, I never hear from the guy. I can't ever get a hold of him. That's your in. Yeah, more or less. That, that, that's my in. And, and, and if they say, well, the, the person that set me up, Ben, I haven't talked to them since Ooh. my next question is, you know, how does that make you feel? Yeah. You know, the next question is, if we were to work together, how often would you want to meet? How often would you want to review your portfolio, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And then the second part, the second fundamental. So fundamental one is get great at asking questions and being a good listener on the first appointment. Second fundamental is getting good at diagnosing their statements. So I begin, so they get their statements out. We're going through the F&A. And you start to look at different things. You can tell, you know what, their performance isn't that good. Um, you know, maybe they say they're aggressive and they're a fixed index annuity, so that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're young and somebody put them in a variable annuity and they're nowhere close to needing income and it's an IRA, right. so that's already getting tax deferrals, so that doesn't make any sense. Maybe they're in an advisory account and they didn't realize that they were paying that high in fees. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe they're overexposed to risk. I mean, I ran into a portfolio yesterday where, you know, they're 78 years old and a hundred percent in stocks and about uh, 70% of it is in sector funds. So that doesn't make any sense for that client. Um, maybe, uh, they're in the wrong share classes. Maybe they're in C shares and that doesn't make any sense. Um, so there's so many situations. So you've got to be able to look at the statement. Maybe it's an asset allocation issue. Maybe uh, they've got one fund. So maybe they're in the Fidelity Contra Fund or the American Funds Growth Fund of America, two good large cap growth funds. Mm-hmm. But if that fund has a bad year, their entire portfolio has a bad year. So that wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. So when when you are... Okay, so... How? What's a good way to go about learning to look at something like that with such a with such with such like a keen eye? Yeah, so because I assume that that's something that's going to take time. It, it does take time. So one of the things that I think that's important. Um, so uh, whether it's my office uh, or another office is as many case studies that a Primerica office can look at, mm-hmm. and just have trainings where people just bring in statements. You know, bring in investment statements, bring in life insurance policies, and just really analyze them and diagnose them. Because the more you see things, obviously, the more comfortable that you'll get. Right. Is that something that we do, like, on a regular? Uh, I encourage people to to bring stuff, but but people don't don't always do it. Okay. (laughs) Uh, But it's a situation where, you know, you be, you, so what, what someone doesn't understand is, they think that if they take the statements and then come back with something better, that the client will always move. But what I found is, even though the sale, you might not be writing up the investments on the first visit, the actual sale does take place on the first appointment in terms of building up that credibility. Mm-hmm. So I will basically, even though we're not doing the paperwork, I will point out their pain on the first visit based on that statement. Hey, I've noticed here that your your fees are extremely high, but it doesn't look like your performance is that good. 
So if I could show you how to increase your rate of return, but actually reduce your fees substantially, would you be interested in working together? So, so I, I might ask a question, well, how married are you to your current financial advisor? Mm -hmm. Because, because if you were my client, I would be very embarrassed right now by your fees being too high. Will you actually I, say something like that? I would like say that. that. I yeah. would say that. I'm very direct. Because <laughs> to me, it's a problem. I'm convicted it's a problem. But I want to know if they're willing to fix it or not. Because let's say it's their uncle and they're like, you know, no matter yeah. what you come back with, I'm not doing it. Well, I'm just going to give them my business card and say, well, when you're ready to maybe get get this fixed, just give me a call. You know, right. so, so I'm very direct because I, I want to know, I'm not going to do a lot of work and just hope and pray that when, when I come back, they're going to be like, Oh, I've changed my mind. I'm going to work with no, yeah. get commitment questions. So very, very important. That's actually the third fundamental. First fundamental, get great at asking questions. Second fundamental, get great at analyzing statements. And the third is get commitments. So if we just show them their pain, again, mm -hmm. high fees, not diversified, poor asset allocation, poor performance, bad service, whatever the case may be, then you ask the, the commitment question. So if I could show you a way to, to fix this, would you be interested in working together? However you want to phrase the question. Okay. So you, you, you've told me that your service isn't good. So if I could show you a way that, that our relationship would be, be much stronger and the service would be much better, um, would you be interested in working together? Okay, so however you want to rephrase the question, practice it, have it become natural. And again, that's what a professional does. If you don't do that, what's going to happen is you're going to become into like a basically a volunteer. <laughs> you're going to be a glorified information giver and go out and give people all this great information, but never do business because you never ask those commitment questions. What do you think? Uh, what do you think a bad salesperson would do coming into an appointment with someone? Like, how would they approach it? Um, they, you know, and and. And highlighting the fundamentals, they, they would present too much, not ask a lot of questions. Would it be more they, like, here's what I can do? Yeah, they wouldn't. Exactly. They wouldn't get their statements. They wouldn't um, ask commitment questions. They would just take everything and hope that, hey, if I just put together a great plan and come back, they're going to say, yes, I want to move forward. Mm -hmm. Right? So very, very, very important. Fundamental number four would be that you've got to prepare for that second meeting. Uh, what we call a carryback or second F&A, financial needs analysis, whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. that you're prepped. So you want to have the financial needs analysis done. Now, if it's an older client that's retired, maybe it doesn't make sense. But if it does make sense, have that, have that ready. Number two, have your checklist that we talk about a lot, but that's just a a Word document where you have, you know, building a financial house at the top. First category, positive errors, because I, I came up with that because I don't want people to be depressed if it's just all negative. <laughs> uh, second category, errors of concern. Third category, implementing solutions. And what I found is I if I go over the F&A or the financial needs analysis and not use that bullet point summary, then people almost kind of feel overwhelmed by the information and really don't know what to do with it. Okay, this is great. This is a lot of information, but what do I do? So I like the summary. 
And then, and then everything else, whether it's Morningstar comparisons, illustrations, paperwork ready because you don't want to be there for an hour and a half. Um, that's important. You you want to have any type of disclosures that need to be used. But mm-hmm. the the more you do this and the better that you get, the more tempted you'll be to wing everything. But I just look at it and say, I want to treat people the way I want to be treated. And I always just prepare as if I'm going back to see me, my family, <laughs> or my parents. You know, mm-hmm. how would I want, like, what would I want to see if I was in this situation? So I, I treat every single appointment the same. Um, I prepare, and what I, what I find is if people in my office prepare really well, they're so convicted and confident about they're going to put the client in a better situation that clients sense that. Like clients want to buy, but they don't want to be sold. Mm-hmm. So when, when you're convicted and you prepared and really you know your their finances better than they do, and and you're confident and 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 you're 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 portraying that. You know they they know that you put time into it. They know you did some research, and and they 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 can understand that. So I think that's just extremely important. Prepare, um, and provide as much value as you can. And it's very very important fundamental. And and then the last one, uh, the fifth fundamental, will be having a great follow up system. So again, first fundamental, asking great questions. Uh, second fundamental, getting great at analyzing statements because that's where you really create that credibility. Third fundamental, getting commitment questions because you don't want to get to the point where you're just gathering uh, information or giving them information but not getting commitments because I look at it and say, if this client doesn't move forward, I'm not really helping them. Yeah. Number four, you've got to put the prep in uh, for that carry back. And this is why, again, Zach, it's so important. And I know you did this with Nate, but it's so important for new people to get out in the field, even before their license, get out in the field right away, see the business. A lot of your family and friends do not know you as a finance. So if you're a new person listening to this, uh, this is very important. Your family and friends probably don't know you as a financial expert. So use your trainer for credibility number two you can only tell your story one time so if you if you're the type of person that says i don't want to get out in the field and get on appointments because i want to get paid for everything i'm not licensed yet what's going to happen is every time that you recruit and train somebody down the road you don't have that story to say right that story to tell i went on probably 40 appointments my first two months here before i was licensed my trainer made probably 40 five thousand dollars off of my warm market but i didn't care because i was learning the business i was getting referrals and then once i passed my test i just didn't have a license i actually had an idea of what i was doing so yeah. i could begin to become independent a lot faster so that was an important thing now would would you say for someone who is life licensed they've been out in the field by themselves like for me for instance i've been out in the field by myself you know, I've I've got the life license. I've been doing that part of the, of of the of the job. Once I am securities licensed, do you think it is a good idea to kind of backtrack and do training appointments again when when things for securities pop up? Or yeah, do you- so so uh, good question. So if I'm training somebody and we go out and there's investment business to to be written, obviously I'm writing it. 
once the rep passes their securities license, we'll transfer that account back to them mm-hmm. so they can get residual income. And sure, uh, learning the F&A and the life insurance part is completely different than doing investments. So as soon as someone passes their test, in addition to me sitting down with them one-on-one to getting them comfortable with paperwork, in addition to them showing up to the boot camp, I'll go on a few appointments with them because I want them to see it a few times because, as you know, I mean, they could see me during training, but to be honest with you, if they didn't have the license, they weren't paying attention that much. Yeah, exactly. It's like <laughs> you going on a trip when you were a little kid. You didn't pay attention until you started driving. Right. And on the license, like how how long do you think it should take to get the license? This is the one that's going to hurt me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to be honest, every s- single situation is different. And what I don't want anybody to do is compare themselves you know, to other people, because every situation is different. I mean, we had somebody, um, you know, in the last couple years where he literally, from the time his IBA was put in, um, he got fully licensed, uh, including securities, in about 30 days. Wow. Now, he was a CPA. Including, oh, okay. He had a background in it, and he did it really, really fast. My experience is if someone's very, very motivated, so I would call them a good part-timer where they're like, you know what, I want to get out of my job. Mm -hmm. They would get their life and health license in 30 days and then take another two months to get their 6 and 63. Now, that would be what I consider a fast pace. Fully licensed in three months is a fast pace. I would say, you know, Somebody that is average might fully licensed uh, in six months. Mm -hmm. But again, if it takes somebody a year, two years, whatever, you know, there's no, there's nothing to be ashamed about because everybody has a different story. Everybody has a different journey. Some people aren't good test takers. I was fortunate. I've always been a good test taker. I was the type of person that could study the morning of and 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 get a good you know grade and and some people don't take tests well and and that's fine too so i think and you and i have talked about it before like this is very much its own language and and it's uh, you know for me i know it's completely like greek you know i'm learning from the ground up from it so it's it's and exactly so um you know, I, I had a finance and economics degree, so it was very easy for me, but it's very, very hard for other people. It's very difficult. All I could say is it's so worth it. Yeah. And, you, you, you know, if you have to take the test more than once, it's not like it's the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you only have to pass it one time. They don't pay you more if you score higher. Mm-hmm. You, you just pass. Um, but what it does, not just for you, but what it does for your clients, I mean, I think that's the key thing. We're a buy-term and invest-the-difference company, and I look at the the money that can be made in the investment business by doing the total job for the client. So, so that's what you know when when you're sitting there and you're looking at the book and it looks like Greek, or you're you're watching a video. I'm like, what the heck are they talking about? Just mm-hmm. on, I would actually begin to study the securities comp and to me that that's the motivating factor okay i just went out with my trainer and the trainer just rolled over 200 grand 
and made $6,200 up front, not counting residual income. You know what? Maybe I should start to take this securities license a little (laughs) bit more seriously, right? That's that's what's eating at me is that, number one, I know, and and Chris uh, Albright at at the Tuesday night, he he made mention of this when we talked when he got up there because he passes sixty three. Congratulations, by the way. Um, but he made mention of the fact that now he can fully do the work. You know, he can he can do everything for a client. He can he he can go out and present himself and be even more confident because it's all him. Yeah, I I, I actually when, I, when before I when I was going on appointments when I had my life license but not my securities license yet, which was only a couple months, I just felt like an idiot. <laughs> I just didn't feel like a true professional because I just I couldn't do the full job. So yes. I, to give myself more motivation, I I, w- I went out like my first month life license i wrote like seven thousand in personal premium but i told those clients when i come back to deliver your policy we're going to revisit these investments and talk about it then okay that gave me motivation because i knew okay underwriting is going to take a couple months so i have to make sure that i'm licensed in three months so when i come back and they want to do that roth ira or that brokerage account or whatever that I have the ability to do that. The other thing that I find is people, you know, to, to get out of study mode is tough mm-hmm. because it's kind of annoying to be in study mode plus business mode at the same time. And if you're frustrated right now because of that, I, I empathize with you because it's annoying. It, it, you know, when you're fully licensed, you don't have to worry about any other tests and you could just focus on business. It's easier, but do the six, then the 63. Obviously, a third of the 63 is review off the six. Then do your 26, because if you want to be an RVP, that's very important for you be getting independent and, and being in that supervisory role. And that one allows you to do events and yeah, things like it just, that. It, it, it really opens all the doors in terms of independence. And then the 65, because you want to have an advisory license, not just for... The benefit for the client, not just for obviously higher residual income, but just conviction when you're out in the field because a lot of times we're taking people out of advisory accounts into something else. But if you don't have the license to do that, can you really with conviction tell people that they need to move their money? Mm -hmm. You know, it's, 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 I think it's difficult. So I think to get fully licensed just makes sense when all the different licenses build on the other ones. The fifth follow, the fifth um, principle or fundamental, if you will, would be follow up. Mm-hmm. So you you just created your client, you you just wrapped up everything. So what's your follow up system like? That's extremely important because um, this is where, to me, the real value proposition starts. They're a client. You know, how often are you doing a review? Are you sending them cards? Are you inviting them to a dinner seminar? Are you sending them emails? Are you sending them texts? The amount of client referrals I get, the amount of recruiting referrals that I get, the amount of additional business that I get from existing mm-hmm. clients by just having a good follow-up system. And and we have systems in place. My office manager, Gail, helps a lot. Uh, my marketing assistant, Maggie, helps a lot. My wife, Samantha, helps a lot. Have a team do it, right? You don't, 
eventually you want a business that runs when you're not involved. Like yeah. um, some of my clients at this point would rather talk to my office manager, Gail, than <laughs> me. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, I probably would too. And I'm thankful for that because, again, you know, I don't want to to travel and feel like I've got to do everything and be everywhere, have systems in place that – that take great care of your clients, you're building great relationships, but you're not physically feeling like you have to do everything. Right. And there's so many different ways that we we do that. Um, I'm not going to go through a full follow-up system today. That might be a good podcast in it, its own right. Another honestly. podcast, yeah. for sure. And and really, when I'm designing my calendar, a lot, oftentimes if, if I'm shooting for eight new FNAs per week because I'm training people, I usually try to schedule four reviews and sometimes I'll knock them out on like a Saturday. Let's say it's at eight o'clock, nine o'clock, at 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock. But for many of you on this podcast, that would actually help you uh, have more stability in your income and you get paid more while you build a business because uh, seeing those clients regularly and getting additional business and the recruiting referrals and the client referrals and ends up being a big deal. Um, very, very important uh, to have a good follow-up system. So uh, those would be the, the, the five fu- uh, fundamentals of, of the securities business, uh, all very important. Um, all things that, that really, if you, if you study this and, and, and you practice this and maybe that means role playing with your spouse or maybe appear in the office is always a good idea. Mm-hmm. Obviously getting out on as many appointments as you can is a great idea. Um, getting around people that are better than you is, is a great idea. Um, you know, I would encourage you to become kind of a market nerd. I mean, Study it uh, for nothing else for you to actually build your own uh, personal net worth is a really good idea Um, because you got to look at it as what's the value gap. If you're going to make more money, then you got to provide more value. If you're Mm going to build a bigger business, you've got to provide more value. So what is it that you're providing for people? You know, in Malcolm Gladwell's book, The Tipping Point, he talked about true professionals, how many hours they have to put into it. He talks about athletes, you know. Michael Jordan didn't get to, to, to perform at that level until he put a certain amount of hours into it. You know, you've got right. actors, you've got, you know, all different types of fields, doctors. You know, I could go on and on, but they put a certain mm-hmm. amount of time into it so it's worth it to get good. I mean, you know, I, I kind of look at it and say, you went to college, I went to college. I mean, how many classes did we have that really weren't practical or didn't relate to the real world? Oh, plenty. I mean, <laughs> plenty a, a of ton. So in Primerica, get good at everything because it just makes sense. Provide your, your clients more value. And, and if, if you don't master it, how are you going to duplicate and teach somebody else how to do it? I think that's extremely important. So, again, the fundamentals of the business, master the fundamentals, keep it simple. Some of your clients, you really want to think about keeping it Fisher-Price simple because too much <laughs> too much is actually going to make it worse. Some of your clients, you want to get into more detail. But I think more importantly, from a distribution standpoint, have as many people on your team 
get securities license as possible so they can do the full job for your client for the clients you know make a bigger difference in people's lives have a a business that does multiple solutions because it's in the client's best interest Mm -hmm. um any other questions that you have uh as we we wrap up this podcast today on the fundamentals I think we've pretty much covered the gamut on. Uh, I mean, so, sometimes you got to it, the question before I got to ask it. <laughs> so uh, okay. I, th- I think we've pretty much covered it. Um, is there anything else you want to close on? Yeah, I, I, as always, man. I, I think there's there there's no such thing as 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 teaching. I th- I think the um, the teacher appears when the student's ready, and and uh, as I always talk about, is it, it's not just about listening to something or hearing something it's about implementing what you learn so again get great at asking uh, good questions get great at becoming a better listener with clients get great at analyzing statements get great at commitment questions get phenomenal at preparing for your second appointment and then and then the last is just Get, get awesome at follow-up. I, I promise you guys, if you master these five fundamentals, uh, not only will you make a big difference in people's lives, but you're going to make a lot of money on the way and have a great business, take care of your family, accomplish a lot of goals. So hope this helps. Oh,